Tonight we're going to be in Psalm 20. Psalm 20 as we continue on through the Psalms. Uh, I was debating on uh, what to preach on for today. It being that it was Valentine's Day, but uh, you know, sometimes you just preach what's ahead. And that's what I did for today. Um, I want to give you exactly what the Lord has given to me. Psalm 20, is this is all about, uh, it's a, really an important topic for you and I to grab a hold of for tonight, because it's exactly what we did just a little while ago. It's intercessory prayer. It's being able to pray for one another. Uh, the, the basis of everything that you want to read is, is probably want to take you off guard, because when we're reading down through here, you're like, who is he talking about? Uh, but it's talking about the people praying for their leader, which is King David, and so if you keep that in mind as we read down through here, you'll, you'll understand exactly how it's, how it's flowing. So let's read Psalm chapter 20. This is a prayer in times of trouble. A prayer in times of trouble. Psalm 20. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice, Selah. Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. We will rejoice in thy salvation and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. And now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will tr remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen. But we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. Let the king hear us when we call. I like verse 9 in particular because we have this saying, uh, God save the king, right? Essentially, this is what Psalm 9 says. You know, we don't read it like that in English, but when you break it down into the Hebrew language, that's what it says. God save the king. You know, I always like that, that saying, that phrase. And so anyway, we'll pray and we'll get started in the lesson for tonight. Heavenly Father, Again, we thank you for bringing us together, and Lord, we do, we need each other. Uh, Lord, as we think about the di diff different needs uh, that many of us have, and some of them unspoken, and you know all about them. And uh, praying for Miss uh, Jean Noon, and praying for her MRI tomorrow, and I know how important that is. I pray you would just help her and strengthen her, and uh, I pray you would just reach down and uh, figure out what's going on with their health and, and we strengthen it. And that goes with all of our church members. I'm praying for their needs as well. And uh, sometimes we can be guilty of forgetting. And I pray you forgive us of that. Uh, we ought to be praying for one another. And I pray you would just, just help us to drive this lesson home tonight. That we might be prayer warriors and we might lift each other up. Uh, may there be no weak links in this chain, Lord, as we think about one another. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Since uh, Miss Linda is not here tonight, and uh, I'm a Southerner, I can say this. I want to go ahead and give this uh, good illustration that really hits home with where we're at. Uh, famous battle songs have led warriors at the war, while Southerners say, sang Dixie. You know, we're all about Dixie in the South. Uh, I know you had a Dixie Cup factory. I know it's unrelated, but anyway. The North sang John Brown's body. That, that, that was a new one to me. But it was Robert E. Lee who wrote, I, didn't, I don't believe we can have an army without music. One Confederate officer in the aftermath of Appomattox, he mused ruefully, he said, if we had your music, sir, we'd whipped you long ago. 
And uh, by the way, John, John Brown's body, uh, it's set to the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And I mean, when we sing the Battle Hymn of the Republic, that'll get your blood going. That'll get you excited uh, to stand for your country and fight for everything that you have within you. And uh, one of the lines goes like this. He captured Harper's Ferry with the 90 men so true. He frightened old Virginia till she trembled through and through. They hanged him for a traitor, themselves a traitor's crew. His soul goes marching on. And then it goes to glory, glory, hallelujah. And you get it, you know, and that's what they're marching to as they head out into, into battle. And uh, it's, it's amazing how these songs uh, just bring, bring such animation to the spirit and to the soul, uh, no matter what it is. You, you have it on the sports fields. I don't know what, um, what the, the local Easton High School, what their anthem is or what their mascot is. Uh, I, I don't know, but I know every one of them, they have an anthem, they have a mascot, and they, they wear their collars very proud. And uh, this psalm reads like a prayer that's set to a music before David would go out into the battle. He would have his men there in the sanctuary. They're offering their sacrifices. They're praying together, lifting up their hands, and they're, they're saying, Lord, bless our king. Lord, strengthen our king. Lord, defend our king. Lord, meet our king's needs. Lord, grant unto our king his petitions. Lord, save him. Lord, we know you can save him. And that's what their prayer is, is they're watching King David march out into war, this this battle-hardened battle man who has faced many different battles, but even David, in the midst of all the battles he's been through, he wasn't too proud to, to tell his men, I need your prayers. And that's with every one of us. And when we're faced with any situations, listen, I, I need your prayers. Charles Spurgeon said time and time again, what, it wasn't his his abilities to be a preacher was all the men while he was preaching to thousands and thousands. It was the men down below him was praying for him as he preached. And it's the Holy Spirit's power. And thank God for those who will pray. And we're to pray for our leaders. Sometimes that's a hard thing to do. But we're to pray for our president. We're to pray for our leaders. We're to pray for one another. And it's important that we understand this, this mission of intercession prayer. The beauty, again, is that David is teaching his people how much he needs God and how much he needs his, their prayers. That he, he, is, he is not invincible. He's not ten foot high and bulletproof. He needs them to pray for him before he goes into the battle. He doesn't lift himself up to be a God. He shows them his need of prayer as they're asking in unison for God's help. And throughout this whole hymn, what we find throughout is this... this Thing, this constant theme, even throughout the whole Bible, it's not just this hymn, but it's throughout the Bible, is that salvation is of the Lord. We need strong faith because sometimes the battles that we're going through stand in the way of, of us sometimes, sometimes holding true to that. But salvation is of the Lord. And by this psalm, we understand it to be a physical deliverance. Verse 5, we say, we will rejoice in thy salvation. Verse 6, now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. Verse 9, save, Lord. Again, uh, God save the king is really what they're crying. We must know where to turn in times of trouble. And we've all experienced trouble, haven't we? 
We all know what it's like to go through these trial, troublesome times and uh, to deal with financial issues, to deal with physical health issues, to deal with family issues, to whatever the issues may be. We all know what it's like to need somebody to rely upon them. Hey, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me because I'm going to see the doctor tomorrow. I need you to pray for me because I have a bill. I don't know how we're to pay. I need you to pray for me because I want to go witness to a neighbor tomorrow. I need you to pray for me because this situation doesn't look good. I need you to pray for me because my family doesn't understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. I need you to pray for me while I'm in school. I need you to pray for me. This is the whole constant theme throughout. The issues are real. And so we know in the day of trouble, anything could happen. And so more and more it ought to cause us to, to respond to God instead of turning to anything else. Someone tonight is counting on us to pray for them. Someone on our prayer list is counting for us to pray for them. Somebody that texted you today, somebody that uh, gave you a phone call and said, well, you pray for me. They need you to pray for them, and they're counting on you. Paul told the Ephesians, uh, the, the believers that were there as he penned the book of Ephesians, he told them to pray for them. I believe the Apostle Paul was one of the greatest saints that has ever graced this earth. You know, sometimes we lift him up higher than what we ought to. He would tell us, he said, you ought not to think so highly. I mean, I'm just a man. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, he was a great man of God. And he would tell the Ephesian believers right after he would talk about that spiritual warfare, put on the whole armor of God and stand fast, uh, you know, having done all to stand and put on the whole armor of God and Pray in all prayer and supplication with all thanksgiving and prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And then he would tell them this. He says, praying always with prayer and supplication to the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And as for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in bonds, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, pray for me that I might be able to preach the gospel, that I might be all things to all men, that I might be all means save some. Pray for me as I'm trying to reach the Roman soldiers. Pray for me as I'm trying to reach my own countrymen. Pray for me as I'm trying to reach the Gentiles far and wide and get the gospel out. He says in the book of Colossians, he says, pray that the, there's an, uh, for the doors to be open for me. And Paul says, pray for me. Again, of all men, we would wonder uh, why he would need prayers from somebody like me, but he needs our prayers. He needs our prayers. I'm impressed with the prayers of our beloved Lord Jesus Christ, who said to Peter when he was about to be sifted as wheat, remember Jesus told him? He says, but I prayed for you. I prayed for you. And remember over in the book of John, John chapter 17, it's known as the high, high priestly prayer as he's there with his disciples and he's, uh, I don't know, I think he's not quite to the Garden of Gethsemane yet, but somewhere along the way, on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, he stops and he prays with the disciples and he, he is praying to his Father in heaven and he says, he says, but I've, I have prayed for them, John chapter 17, verse 9, I pray not for the world, but for them which has give, thou hast given me, for they are thine. Uh, Jesus doesn't sit up in the heavens doing nothing. The Bible tells us that he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. He's praying for you and I uh, tonight, and that ought to encourage us. 
He taught us to pray for others, as mentioned over in Daniel chapter 6, verse 11. Of course, in this instance where Daniel was, of course, the, those who had trouble with Daniel, they were looking for an occasion to cause him to come down from his position. They didn't like the high position he held. They didn't like the fact that he was righteous. They didn't fact, like the fact that he had a relationship with God. And they went to the king and they told him, we're going to make a decree that nobody can pray in any name to anybody. <laughs> The name of their God except for you, O King. And what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 6, verse 11, that these men assembled, and they found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And it ought to cause us to think, what are people finding us doing? Do they find you praying? Are they finding me praying? Because, they're, again, they're counting on us, that we, we are praying for them, that God would help them in this time of trouble. Or do they find you, instead of praying for them, talking about them? See, if you believe God can save, what should we be doing? Praying. If they could count on anything else, why would we need to pray? Why would we need to be saved? The fact of the matter is, nothing else will do other than the answer from God on high. For God's salvation, God's help. God's strength. We notice in the psalm tonight that there's three elements that we have here throughout this intercessory prayer. These are the petitions of the congregation as they are lifted up on behalf of their king. There are six petitions from verse 1 all the way down to verse 5. In fact, if you look down to verse 5, it says at the very last phrase, The Lord fulfill all thy Petitions. He's talking about all the petitions that's come before. And uh, we also notice not only the petitions of the congregation, but we also notice the conviction of the congregation. Reminds me of James chapter 1. He says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and he upbraideth not. In other words, he doesn't rebuke them for coming to him and asking for wisdom, but he gives to all men liberally, he says. Nothing, ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed, for let not that man think that he should receive anything. If we want to be praying, we need to be praying in faith. We need to be trusting God and, and, and trusting that he's going to hear and answer that prayer. First John chapter 5, was it verse, verse 15 through 18, I believe it is. It's one of the confidences of knowing that we're the children of God. When we pray, we know that he hears us. And he gives us the petitions we've asked of him. Then he closes with a jubilation, the congregation's jubilation. Robert Murray McShane, he said this, turn the Bible into prayer. This is the best way of leaning, learning, best way of learning the meaning of the Bible and of learning to pray. And so tonight we'll look at these three things, the petitions, the conviction, and this jubilation, or the praise. So... Let's look tonight at the petition, the congregation's petition in this prayer. They lift up their voice in supplication for the king. The intercessory prayer is very clear when we see, again, the first five verses, these six petitions that are made throughout. The Lord hear thee, number one. Uh, the Lord defend thee, number two, in the very first verse. Send thee help, verse two. Strengthen thee, verse two. Uh, remember all thy offerings, verse three. Grant thee according to thy own heart, verse 4. 
Again, these petitions that are mentioned one after another makes us clear that these are petitions offered up unto the Lord on behalf of the king. Sometimes it's, it's, it's really hard, like I mentioned at the start, to read down through. At least it was difficult for me. All right? I, sometimes I have a hard time when I'm, I'm reading through and it says, the Lord hear thee. What is he talking about? Who is he referring to? And so in my, in my Bible, what I, I do is I try to figure out what are these pronouns referring to. And when I figure out it refers to David, then it helps me to put it, okay, I can put in his name. I can say, the Lord hear King David in the day of his trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend King David, our king. Lift him up on high securely in safety is really what it means. Send the help from the sanctuary. Send King David help. Strengthen King David out of, uh, out of Zion. Remember all of King David's offerings and accept his burnt sacrifice, Selah. And it's good because we could do that with our own selves as well. I could put in Scott's name and say, the Lord, hear Scott in the day of trouble. And I could put in any, any of your names as well. The Lord, hear Charlie in the day of trouble. So we come to this day of trouble when it would have... This day of trouble wouldn't be necessarily like what you and I are, are talking about this tonight is a physical thing, maybe a physical ailment, maybe a broken bone, maybe a tooth, maybe this, maybe that. But we know it's in relation to a battle. It's in relation to a Bible, Bible uh, battle, I should say. And so he's asking for divine deliverance in this day of battle, which he's up against an enemy, we're not told who, we're not told directly what the enemy is, but we know that he faced several. And we know that they are God's people and they could pray this way because they are trusting that God's going to preserve their king. It tells us over in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, He that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. The elements of, of verse 1. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob, defend thee. It's interesting to use this to name the God of Jacob. When we read down through, we see that um, some of the elements we have and try to piece it together with the life of Jacob that he had in the past as he walked with God uh, there toward the latter end of his life. We understand at one point that uh, on the way back to the Lord told him, he says, I want you to go back to your father's land. And Jacob takes all of his family, he comes, he comes to the place of the Jabbok River, and of course he's fearful because of Esau, his brother, and so he sends over just his, his, everything that he has in three different bands and three different uh, companies going out to meet Esau, and he gives them something to say, and he sends over the last person, and then he's alone, and he's praying, and he says, uh, praise unto the Lord God of his father Abraham, and the Lord God of his father Isaac, and the Lord God of his father Abraham. The one who called him to return to his own land, and he's praying to him. And he tells him how he's fearful to meet his own brother, and he's asking for deliverance. Could be that time. Another time when he's heading up to Bethel, where the Lord tells him, he says, Arise, go up to Bethel. And in that time in Genesis 35, verse 3, he says, Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress. And was with me in the way in which I went. And then a couple of verses later, it's amazing because even after he 
Jacob prays, and he's, he's up there, and he tells his family, of course, they put off all of their ornaments, and they get rid of all their gods, they begin to bury them, they're not going to trust those things anymore, they're preparing their lives, they're sanctifying themselves as they approach nearer unto God, and they go to that altar, and, and uh, God speaks to Jacob once again, and he tells them, he says, you're going to be all right, essentially. But a couple of verses later from Genesis 35, verse 3, the Bible tells us, And the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Remember that uh, the sons of Jacob, Levi and Simeon, they went out and they slew all the men of Shechem, and they were afraid, they were fearful. They were going to come out and pursue after them and kill them and take their lives. This was a commitment from God on behalf of them, the covenant-keeping God. Jacob, I want to preserve thee. Jacob, I want to protect thee. Lord, uh, Jacob, I want to defend thee. And that's what they're praying here. And in other words, the same God that protected Jacob in the day of his distress, in the day of his trouble, is the same God that's going to be applied to David's situation as he heads out of the battle. He can trust in that same covenant-keeping God to protect him and to preserve him in the midst of all of his trouble. God has not forsaken his people. And whether it was, again, whether it was Zen or Genesis 32 or whatever the situation we understand, at that time in the period of Jacob's life when he followed the clear commands of God, he didn't prosper because of who he was. It wasn't because he was Jacob. It wasn't because he was strong enough to defend himself. He prospered because God protected him. He's not just any God. He's the God of heaven and earth. He's the God over my day. I like the Bible where it says, Rejoice in the Lord, for this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He's the God over my day. He's the God over my trouble. He's the God over my trial. He's the God over the situation that I'm praying about, and there's nothing that's too hard for our God. So how do we pray in a day of trouble? Uh, you know, I confess to you time and time again that it's, sometimes it's hard for me. When somebody says, I want you to pray for me, especially I uh, think about the, the Bachmans for their, for their daughter with a stage four cancer, and I'm thinking, Lord, how do I pray? I'm praying for grace particularly, but how do I pray? I know how I want to pray. I, I want to pray, Lord, take it all away, remove it, let it be a miracle, let it be a testimony to our God. That's the way I want to pray, but how do I pray? And I'm sure you're like me in many of those instances. But notice how, notice how Israel prays for the king. It says, the name of the God of Jacob, defend thee. That's how they pray. They recognize that God is greater than any trouble that we have, any situation that we're up against. And if I can do anything at all for you, the greatest thing I can do is pray for you. That's essentially what it comes down to. David, if, if, if I can't go out of the battle, I'll tell you this, I want to pray for you. Even the five-year-old, even the six-year-old, even, even, even those who are 90 years old. David, I'll, I'll be praying for you as you head out of the battle. If you succeed, I succeed. If you fail, I fail. Uh, I, I need to devote my heart that you might be uh, in the good graces of God and also fight with all of your strength and all of your might. So there was supplication in the name of the God of Jacob and his second to sacrifice. The congregation now gets specific with their petitions. It's not just defend thee. 
though sometimes that's where we stop. It's not just defend thee, now it's send thee help. Send David help, send King David help from the sanctuary and strengthen King David out of Zion. In verse 2 and verse 6, they seem to go hand in hand and very parallel in what they're asking. You understand that the sanctuary is the, uh, the heavens, God's throne room, his sanctuary from the heavens. He says that send help from the heavens and strengthen thee out of Zion. They're asking for God's divine help. If David will be saved and if David will prevail, it's got to come from God. And again, this is reinforced by the offerings in verse 3 because the offerings were not just some religious ceremony. You know, anybody could offer an offering. Remember King Saul as he goes out to the battle. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, the Bible tells us that he's going to go and he's going to arrange battle with the Philistines that already arranged their battles against the, against the Hebrew children. The Philistines are more in number. They, they have a huge army that's coming, coming up against them, overwhelming. They have chariots. It's one thing that, I mean, they had no chance against the chariots alone. They had superior weaponry. They had everything on their side. So much so that Israel begins to tremble in fear, and some of them are about ready to leave. Saul has his army. They're gathered together. Samuel has appointed a day in which he's going to come and offer the sacrifices, and Saul is up there, and he's watching some of his men, and they're, they're trying to escape from the camps, and he's watching all of them go out, and then he begins to tell some of them, and he says, uh, I bring here the offering." The offering which they would offer before they head out to war. And he asks for the offering and he offers it. And in the midst of offering it, here comes Samuel and he catches him in the very act. And then we read in verses 11 and 12 of that same chapter. It says, and Samuel said, what has thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not. And he begins to show blame there. He says, oh, Samuel, you didn't come. Cast blame on the man of God. Uh, uh, within the three days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal. He uses an excuse. He says, they're coming down. What was I supposed to do? And he justifies his actions. And then he says this. He says, and I have not made, uh, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. And so he says, well i got to do it because it's the right thing to do. I need to offer sacrifice. I need to offer my supplications to the Lord. So he's, he's, playing, he's using religion to play the hypocrite. He's, he's trying to play off spiritual. Well, Samuel, you know, I wasn't going to go out to battle unless I first offer unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And what I'm trying to say is, you know, they didn't just offer any sort of sacrifice. This is not what they're praying here just to do something religious, to say they did something. Samuel said to Saul, he said this, he says, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. He trusted in what he was doing. He thought that his way was just as good as God's way, and Saul was wrong. Cannot pray the Lord hear you in the day of trouble and try to do it your own way, because... Well, look, I did something religious, and so, Lord, you need to bless. But here's the other end of it. They, they knew that when they prayed, they, they, they were praying because of the sacrifices that they offered up. 
the, the approval was based upon the sacrifices. Remember when they would go into the, uh, the temple the one time a year, the high priest would. And they would offer up that one sacrifice of the Day of Atonement. And they would go in and they would offer it up. And they would come out and, and when the high priest came out, they knew that they would have accepted the, the fact that the sacrifice was offered. It was to say that it, it, they were approved, they were being accepted. And we don't do it that way anymore, but we, we, we base our prayers off of what? One sacrifice, right? The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's how we pray. In the name of His name. We know that our prayers are, are accepted before God based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ, not based upon a, an Old Testament sacrifice, but that's, that's where they found their approval. God, based upon this sacrifice and the cleanness of my hands, Lord, because I'm trying to do what's right in your name. Here, remember those sacrifices that I offered up unto you. May they be aroma, a sweet-smelling sacrifice, acceptable in your sight. Lord, may you hear when we're on the day of battle and remember those sacrifices we have offered unto you. May you remember our heart's desire is to stand and to be a testimony and to be a witness to the holy God of Israel. That's what it was all about. The sacrifices were not a way to manipulate the battle to get to victory, but they were a way to seek this divine approval of God. And of course, people can play spiritual. All, I mean, they do it all the time, don't they? And these people were sincere as they prayed for the king. They took God very seriously. Again, you know, if, if the king would succeed in the day of battle, if they saw them coming back with their banner flags flying in the air, they, they would recognize that God has prevailed in the day of battle. It wasn't based upon them and their ability and their smarts and their maneuvering. But it was based upon God giving them the victory for that day in the battlefield. Petition sought God for success. Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. Now that's a dangerous verse for some people. You mean you would give me anything that I want? Anything that I desire? Well, listen. If you know the chariots are not going to save you, then you're not going to be on your knees praying for chariots. If you know horses are not going to save you, you're not going to be on your knees asking for horses. If you know Egypt and you know Syria, you know Edom, you know Damascus, any of these other places, if you know that your salvation doesn't come from them, you're not going to be going chasing that, but who are you going to chase after? You want to say, God, I need you, and that's where my desire is. I want my heart to be knit with your heart that I might find this divine approval. God, I just desire to please you with my life. The Bible tells us in Psalm 37, verse 4, I believe it is. Let me just turn over there so I don't misquote it. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You follow after God, He'll give you the desires. He'll put the desires in your heart you're supposed to have. 
You know, as many times as I, when I went to Bible college at first, I said, I, I don't want to even think about a woman. I just want to go out and, you know, do what God called me to do. I want to, I want to preach. I didn't know what that was. I, again, when I, went to, when I went to church, you know, the church that I went to was only the pastor and his family, the assistant pastor and his family and me. That was, that was the whole church. They didn't do any soul winning. They didn't do any bus ministries. They didn't do any of that. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm praying as the Lord. I got to go. I gotta, I get, you called me to preach. What am I going to do? I knew the Lord had called me to preach. I watched Billy Graham on television. I said, well, that's what God called me to do. I need to be an evangelist. Billy Graham's an evangelist. Put two and two together. Lord, you must be calling me to be an evangelist. I didn't even know what an evangelist was. Went to Bible college against uh, many people's desires, but I went to Bible college knowing that's what God wanted me to do. And uh, I'm there and I'm trying to focus, and all of a sudden, you know, God puts a woman in my path named Sarah, you know, and thank God for that. He gave me the desires at the right time, at the right place, the desire to preach first, to serve Him first, and then the desire uh, to find my life's mate. God will give you the desires of your heart. They're praying that God would fulfill all of David's desires. And if his heart was not with God, I wouldn't want what David wanted. If my desire is not to serve God and to uh, do what God has called us to do as, as a church, then if I was you sitting in the pew, I would be like, I don't want all of his desires if it was just self, selfish ambition. I'm just saying if, if his desires, if, the, if his desires is lined up with God's desires and it's okay to follow, uh, whether it's a missionary we're supporting or whether it's a bus ministry or whether it's uh, VBS or whatever outreach, as long as that desire matches God's desire, then I say, uh, let's go for it. So we see the desire of the heart of the godly man should correspond to the desire of the heart of God. Then we see this conviction. Conviction that was in their prayers. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. They, they, they moved from praying, hoping that God would fulfill all these petitions and all these desires. And they're praying on behalf of their king. They're interceding. And then they get to the point where they begin to show their faith. They say, Lord, I know you say." Sometimes when we're praying with people and we want them to know that we serve a great God, we serve a God who, who, who does abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And we want to pray for somebody maybe in the hospital room and we're, we're praying, we say, well, my, my God is the great physician. And I want to pray for you because I know that my God can heal you. If he so desires, I know he can heal you. I know that he can strengthen you. I know he can provide for you. Provision comes in many different ways. Sometimes people, uh, are, are, they have this expectation that sometimes the check is just going to show up in the, in the mail. Other times, you know, you got to understand God provides in many different ways. Maybe he's providing for a job, through a job. Maybe he's providing through something else that you're doing. But God provides. He doesn't always provide the same way every single time, but he wants you to learn to trust in him, not to, not to presume upon him. 
But here is this, this resolve, this strengthening, this conviction deep down in his heart. I know that the Lord saveth his anointed and he hears them from his holy heaven. I know God hears me when I pray. I know God's going to protect him when he goes out. I know God is going to save him out of the battle. And there's a strong conviction that's within him. I love the old story of the, the woodsman. He was accustomed to cutting wood the traditional way. You know, uh, the, the, the maul, they get the wood stacked up and they put it down on it. And they begin to swing that maul and begin to break that wood all into pieces. The old woodsman got to get up there in those years. And he decided to go to the local store. They had this nice technology, this new equipment, and he was trying to show it to the woodsman. We got this saw here for you. He's going to cut 10 cords of wood for you. It'll do much more for you than what you can do on your own. The guy decided to try it. He bought it, and he took it out, and he tried it for a day, and he got so aggravated, he bought it to the shopkeeper. He says, I don't need this new finagle technology. It doesn't work. It's worthless. So what's the problem, sir? He says, let me see that thing. And he begins to take it in his hands and begins to crank it up. And he heard the revving of the engine and the turning of the, the gears and everything else. And uh, the guy looked at him, the woodsman looked at him. He says, uh, where did that sound come from? I haven't heard that sound before. Trying to do it in your own strength. It doesn't matter what kind of technology or what you use. You need faith. Faith. Faith is more than a word that we talk about. Do you believe? Do you believe God can save you? Do you believe God can change you? Do you believe God can provide for you? And believing is not just saying that you believe he can. It's trusting. It's living it out. Sometimes we see our dependence on other things throughout life, and you know you know what you're struggling or what you're, you're depending on when it's taken away, don't you? You know, it's that cup of coffee first thing in the morning, that's, that's my new kick. So that's what I'm going to be talking about for a while, okay. And all of a sudden that coffee's taken away from me. I, like, I can't live. Say, <laughs> so I need my cup of coffee before I talk to somebody first thing in the morning. And, you know, I just, it doesn't work. I've got to have my cup of coffee first or I can't live. God says, you don't need to trust in that cup of coffee. I'm preaching to myself, by the way. And it goes for anything else. You could trust in your gun. You say, well, nobody's going nobody's to break into my home. I got guns. I got security guards. I got this. I got that. I got the other. I got it all under control. And that's taken away from you. What are you going to do? What do you want to do? Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16 The Bible tells us this. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Verse 16. This was a message to the king. It says, But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses, for as much as the Lord has said unto you, you shall henceforth return no more that way. You shall return no more that way. The king, you find that in the previous verse, but I'm trying to cut that down short for you. 
But uh, he, he's saying, you, know, you, you begin to multiply all these things, so you'll begin to trust in them. And you'll begin to trust in your riches. You'll begin to trust in your wisdom. You'll begin to trust in all those other things. Don't trust in those things. Know that the Lord will save. Let me just, we'll bring all this to a conclusion. Let me come over to Second Chronicles 32. And we'll, we'll close with this, all right? Second Chronicles 32. I'm going the wrong way. Second Chronicles 32. King Hezekiah, he was a godly king. There was an instance where all these armies were coming up against him. Sennacherib was the prevailing conqueror of the day, coming down and causing all kinds of havoc and chaos, just conquering place after place, kingdom after kingdom. They were on a roll. They come down to the where Hezekiah is. Of course, Hezekiah was experienced revival. He was trying to do all those things that were right in the eyes of the Lord, and then all of a sudden this happens. They come down to Jerusalem where he is. In verse 10 it says, Thus saith Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, Whereon do you trust that you abide in the siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give over yourselves to die by famine and by thirst, and saying, the Lord our God should deliver us from the hand out of the king of Assyria. He's like, listen, we got, to, we got to figure it out. We can starve you out of here if you like. We can cut off all your water. We can make it really hard for you. Don't trust in what Hezekiah is telling you. Verse 10, had not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places, his altars, and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, you shall worship before one altar and burn incense upon it? Know ye not what I and my fathers have done unto all the people that are of other lands? Were there gods of nations of those lands in any ways able to deliver their lands out of my hand? In other words, Hezekiah, you think you're any different than them? Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his, his people out of my hand and that your God should be able to deliver you out of my hand? Now therefore let no, not... Hezekiah deceive you, nor persuade you on this matter, neither yet believe him. For no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people out of mine hand, and out of the hand of my fathers, how much less your God deliver you out of my hand. And the servant spake yet more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah, who wrote also letters to rail on the Lord God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people out of my hand, so shall not the God of Hezekiah deliver his people out of my hand. We come down to verse 19. They spake against the God of Jerusalem, as against the gods of the people of the earth, which were the work of the hands of men. And for this cause Hezekiah the king, and the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos, prayed and cried to heaven. They prayed and they cried to the God of heaven. And the Lord sent an angel to cut off all the men of valor. We see that what we do matters very little. If we want to trust in banks and lands and whatever, government, horses, chariots, no, we need to be trusting the Lord. Let us pray one for another. I know we'll, we'll just conclude with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and grace. And may you just work in our hearts.
may you strengthen us. May we bear one another's burdens. There are many burdens that are carried by this church. Many burdens that people some may not know about. But may we spend time with one another, praying for one another. May we encourage them through prayer that God, our God is able to deliver thee. We don't need to trust in any other but in our God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.